Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. This morning, we're going to be looking back at some things that have happened in the past, some stuff that's still going on today, and we're also going to be remembering some stuff that hasn't happened yet. Then next week, having, having established sort of a 30,000-foot view over the season, Brock's going to come, and he's going to, to dive down a little bit deeper into some of the specifics about, about this man, Jesus who came and how he chose to come before we get to wrap up on Christmas Eve morning at 1030 with a celebration of the birth of the Christ together. I'm so excited about this and I can't wait to see what God has in store for us over these three weeks. Before we do that though, let's go ahead and pray and let's invite God into this time that the one who spoke would still speak. Father, we give this time to you. We come to you as a people who have gathered in your name who have been saved by faith through grace in Jesus. And we ask that you would speak. Father, take this time, do with it what you will. But we do pray, Lord, that every one of us would leave here just a bit more like Jesus than how we came in. It's in the Christ that we pray these things. Amen. So the truth is we all organize our years around something. Uh, The Johnsons, we are a homeschooling family, and we have three teenagers, and so we might pay our taxes January 1 to December 31, but our year works around a scholastic calendar. It it, it saturates every room of our house. Uh, Back when when I lived as as an international worker in Burkina Faso in West Africa, people there organized their years between the rhythm of rain and harvest and rain and harvest. And then when I spent a few years living in a different kind of wilderness in the great state of Alabama, it seemed that there were other people who organized their lives around two big chunks of time. There was college football season, and then there was waiting for college football season. Now, I, I can't really tell you in all honesty that I, that I orient my years around this, but I do like to pay attention. I think there's something that we gain from paying attention to the annual church calendar, the things that are happening in a rhythm of remembering what God's done. The last time that I preached, uh, I spoke to you on what, what was Pentecost Sunday. Brock did me the, the service of giving me Pentecost Sunday to get to speak to you about. And this day, I get to speak to you on what most of the Christian world would call the third Sunday of Advent. Now, as I, as I speak that word Advent into, a, into an exceedingly Protestant room, uh, if you think about anything, probably what you're thinking about are weirdly pastel-colored candles on a wreath. Uh, or maybe, maybe you're thinking about Advent calendars, fun different Advent calendars. Our family typically tries to get one of the Lego Advent calendars. I think we've also done a Chocolates of the World Advent calendar. In, in some of the more serious preparation that I did for this week, I Googled weird Advent calendars. And, and, and a lot of different things showed up. There are beauty product Advent calendars. There are wine, beer, and whiskey Advent calendars, in case you want to develop a habit of drinking daily to remember Jesus. There, there's Marvel Advent calendars, Home Alone, Bob Ross, Friends, The Office, Pokemon calendars, and even, perhaps the weirdest of all, that page that I was looking at actually listed one Christmas Advent calendar. Talk about weird. So here's the thing. While calendars like that are fun, 
they're actually missing the mark. They're missing out on a lot of stuff. This season that we're celebrating right now is about so much more than treats helping us count down to the birth of a baby in the Middle East. And I believe that if we consider it in its proper context, we're gonna see that there's a whole lot of gospel good news in the birth story. In fact, the whole gospel is contained in, in a full, robust remembering of the birth story. And so I think that if you'll hang with me this morning, you're gonna discover that that really is good news for all the people, even more than Brock's impending return. So this word Advent itself simply means the arrival of something or someone important. If we wanted to, we could speak of the advent of the smartphone or the advent of indoor plumbing, or as we've already celebrated this morning, the advent of HEB to North Fort Worth. It's just a word that means something or someone important has shown up. And this particular advent that we're talking about today both remembers and points toward the most important someone ever. So this morning, we're going to start by looking at what happened when Jesus first came, when he first showed up as an infant. Now, I want to to reiterate here at the beginning a fact that probably all of you are aware of. It's God's world. And and whether he is speaking in a way that we have ears to hear or we have, or we're paying attention, we know that God is always doing something. He's always up to something in his world. But when Jesus was born a couple thousand years ago, God had not spoken through his prophets, to his people since Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. That meant that it had been 400 years of silence for the people of God, four more centuries of waiting for the Messiah. That, that's, not twice, almost, that's not twice as old as our country, but it's kind of close to twice as old as our country. The people of God, when Jesus came, had been waiting for a long time for God to fulfill those promises made to Abram that were then echoed and repromised and recovenanted through the times of the patriarchs and the kings and the prophets, but they were waiting in silence. By the time that Jesus was born, if a generation is roughly 30 years, it's been 13 generations since God last spoke. That was darkness. It was hard waiting. The people were scattered. They were powerless in the face of Roman oppression, and they were clinging to a hope given in the distant, dusty past of their long-dead ancestors. So what was it that they were clinging to? They were clinging to hope. Because sometimes hope is all we have to hold on to. Part of the message of Christmas Part of waiting to remember the birth of Jesus is that clinging to hope in darkness pleases our Father. And if you happen to be in a season of clinging, whether you walked into this auditorium this morning just barely hanging on, or you've logged on this morning just barely hanging on, I want you to hear this truth. Advent, this season, is for you. Don't let the lights and the music and the food and the white elephant gift exchanges deceive you. Advent is made for people that are just hanging on. It's for people that really feel the darkness because it points us back to a time when God finally spoke after four centuries of staying quiet, and it gives us hope that he's going to act and he's going to speak again. Now, many of the words that we typically remember to celebrate Christmas come from some of the most hopeful parts of the Old Testament. Even if we just limited ourselves to the book of Isaiah, then we can be taken on a tour of of Christmas memory verses. Uh, In fact, as I was wrestling with with what message to bring to you today, and I 
And I'll come back to that in a minute. This really was a, a wrestling that I experienced with this. Um, I came close to preparing a sermon that I would have called Christmas at Isaiah's house because there's so much in there for us today. But in Isaiah 7, we're told that there was going to be a virgin who gave birth, whatever that meant, that the virgin would conceive. She would give birth to a son and they would call him Emmanuel, something that means God with us. Then just a couple of chapters later, we have that, that beautiful passage that so much of us have come to count on at Christmas time, where they're told that people who've walked in darkness all their lives, where the, the previous 13 generations have walked in darkness and at last are seeing light, to them, he proclaims that to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will never be an end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from time on, from that time on, and forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Those are spectacularly beautiful promises. They're beautiful promises for us today. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a country that is governed with concerns about justice and righteousness? But they were particularly beautiful promises to people that hadn't governed themselves in quite some time. Now, we've got fingerprints of hope throughout this entire book of prophecy in Isaiah. And we eventually land us in chapter 52, where we've got the origin of one of our favorite Christmas carols. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, those who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns, particularly when it doesn't look like he's reigning. Now that song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, it always seems to lead us straight from Old Testament prophecy right to nativity scenes, where a surprisingly clean newborn is laying in a feed trough, surrounded by adoring parents, one of whom is Mary, um, a teenage girl who looks fabulous for having just given birth, and adoring, again, very clean people, very clean for people who sleep outside shepherds. And there's a lot that we miss when we sprint from the prophecy straight to the manger. And part of what Advent does for us, it forces us to wait. Retailers here in the U.S. have decided that they don't care. They're, they're, they're going to start Christmas right after Halloween, and that's fine for them. But the calendar doesn't let that happen. We're thinking, and we're praying, and we're preparing, and we're reading about the coming of Jesus right up until December 25th, no matter how much we wish it would come sooner. But when we skip that waiting, when, when, we, when we try to jump over it, our understanding and our appreciation of the birth is made so much weaker. If you light a candle outside on a summer day, no one notices or cares, unless there's a burn ban in place. But if you light one when the power has gone out in the middle of the night, everyone comes to it, and it changes everything. Context matters, and the context of the birth of Jesus is one of total darkness before that light breaks in. Second, if we jump straight from the prophecy to the manger, we're missing all of the good announcements, that stuff that happened a little more than nine months before Jesus was born, the, an event that we call in churchy words, the Annunciation. Luke recorded for us this incredibly important part of the story when an angel came and gave very surprising news to Mary, a teenage girl who otherwise would have been forgotten by history. 
we miss the fact that God's full plan of salvation, the entire gospel story, was an action at his birth. And I actually have a visual aid to help you with that this morning. Uh, So let's go ahead and put this up here. All right, this is a 600-year-old painting that's on display at a museum up in New York City, and it illustrates what I'm talking about. Now, I want to just go ahead and say I recognize there are some parts of this painting not to like. Uh, First of all, that is an exceptionally white Mary for a a woman who's grown up uh, in the Middle East. Secondly, that angel is, is not exactly biblical. He's not really inspiring fear, as you can tell by the young teenage uneducated peasant girl who's still reading silently to herself right there. Um, I've also got a special place in my heart for Joseph off to the far right on the picture. Uh, He's he's just sitting randomly drilling holes in wood as all good carpenters do. But what I really love about this painting, apart from my art critique, is it's probably actually a little hard for you to see. In the upper left-hand corner of the central painting where there are those two round windows, there's a sunbeam that's coming in. And it goes straight from the windows onto Mary's tummy. And riding that sunbeam down is a naked baby. And that baby is carrying a cross. It's a startling reminder, an impressive theological statement made in art without words that even before he was born, Jesus was headed to the cross. Emmanuel the one foretold for centuries of years and who was to break the 400 straight years of silence was coming to be born in order to die. Now with with the 2020-ish hindsight that we've got looking back on scripture, we can see this even in Isaiah. That go tell it on the mountain chapter 52 is followed immediately by the suffering servant chapter 53. One of our most common Christmas day chapters is followed immediately by one of our favorite Easter chapters. As we're told that the one born on Christmas will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. We are going to be healed by his wounds. My friends, if we want to be true to the story that God's been writing throughout scripture, we have to remember that the cross casts a very long shadow, even darkening the nativity scenes scattered throughout our neighborhoods and our living rooms. But that's only a part of what I want us to notice today. The season of Advent doesn't just speak to an event that happened a couple thousand years ago, it's also speaking to us today. Now, in direct contradiction to the stuff that I just said, the same Jesus who was born in that manger in order to die is alive today. Now, if you are new to the Christian faith, or if you have just kind of wandered into a church in the Christmas season, because that's what you do, you wander into churches, then I want you to hear, first of all, welcome. We are so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that God's moving in your life during this season, because boy, you've picked a good one to start learning about Jesus. But if you're new to the faith, that's going to be shocking news that our God who planned for Jesus to die, planned to raise him from the dead as well. And today, this Jesus, it's not a different one. It's the very same Jesus is alive, even now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, someone that we call the firstborn of the new creation. We've been, glimpses, we've been given glimpses at the end of the gospels and at the beginning of Acts, the book that comes right after them, of what it's gonna look like when we're all resurrected from the dead. And friends, it's pretty exciting what we get to see. Jesus is like us, but he's more. He's, he's very human, but there's something more to him. 
But if you're curious, and I hope you're curious every time you encounter Scripture, this begs a question for us. We're told that Jesus is raised and perfected and glorified, and he's sitting next to the Father up in heaven. So the question I would ask is, what's he doing? What's Jesus doing up there? Well, thanks be to God, we've also been given those answers as well. I want to notice two of them. Um, that are going to help us enrich and understand what's happening and why Christmas matters today, why it mattered then but today. First of all, Jesus, Emmanuel, is still Emmanuel. Jesus is still with us. God is still with us. When Jesus prepared to leave his disciples, he made them a promise. It was really an Advent promise. He told a very confused group of disciples in John 16 that I'm going to leave, and when I leave, it's better for you that I'm going away. They didn't understand it at the time, but what Jesus meant was that it is better for the people of God to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, something that Jesus sent for the first time at Pentecost on all of those disciples. It's better to have the Holy Spirit than to physically have Jesus with you. Part of the coming of Christmas should include a celebration of the coming of the Spirit. As we celebrate the birth of Emmanuel, we must remember that that's not a one-time, long-ago kind of thing. It's not dusty. It's new and it's exciting because God is still with us. Every day of our lives, God is with us. Every one of us who've been filled with the Holy Spirit because we have called on the name of Jesus for salvation get to experience every day Emmanuel. So that's one thing Jesus is still up to. There's a second thing I think he's doing, though. I believe that Jesus, and we're told this in Scripture, is our great high priest. Now, I'd imagine that most of you who are in this room, if you're like me, you have a hard time really understanding what exactly a, a priest is. We're, we're used to pretty, pretty narrow distance between us and the, the people who are in charge of us. As Americans, we want leaders who are of the people, people that we can relate to. We, we want our congressmen to publish a phone number that we can call and make ourselves feel better by complaining to their answering machine on. We're used to having access to the people that are in charge. But what Jesus does for us Jesus, by being seated at the right hand of the Father, is an intercessor for us. He speaks on our behalf to the Father. And I want you to hear how this connects to Christmas. I love it. It's so great. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, but yet did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he understands us. We have a God who gets us. We can see how this was part of God's plan all along. Jesus needed to be Emmanuel. He needed to be God with us. He needed to walk dusty roads. He needed to be hungry. He needed to have sore feet at the end of the day. He needed to be tempted and worn out. He needed to, on occasion, be lonely and abandoned if he was ever going to be a great high priest for all people for all eternity. And this is good news, that he's the kind of God that we serve. And it's worth paying attention to year-round, but particularly this time of year. And finally, I promised you back at the beginning that we would remember both some things that have happened and some stuff that's happening, but that also we would remember some stuff that hasn't happened yet. And that is a distinctly Christian thing to do. 
remembering things that haven't actually happened, remembering the future. Only a people who follow a God who has been 100% faithful in all of his interactions can remember the future. But we get to, because our God has never been anything but faithful. So this last piece of good news that taking in the whole of Advent season brings us is the good news, friends, that Jesus is coming back. The one who came as a baby in a manger and who lives today as our great high priest will one day return as King Jesus. Now, there's a whole lot of places we could turn to in the New Testament to to see what it's going to be like when King Jesus returns, but I figure it's best to let Jesus himself tell us about it. So Matthew has recorded this for us in the 24th chapter of his gospel. We'll start in verse 27. Jesus tells us that for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. No one's going to miss it. And then we have one of those verses. Amy, I'm glad you're here today. I think this should be something that our kids memorize these days. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. That's Jesus. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of Man, me, Jesus, I will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. But then here's the good news. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and with great glory and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect. That's us. We're the chosen. They will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heavens to the other. Let there be no mistake this morning as we consider Christmas, King Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back. Now, we don't know when. It's really hard to explain why he delays. In In his wisdom, I don't understand it. Heaven knows we could use him today. But we do know that his return is a fact. It's a day we get to look forward to. It's something so sure that we get to remember it even though it hasn't happened yet. But that said, this second coming, it's not gonna be like the first. In fact, I think that if we take the two comings and we look at them together, we can see, once again, God orchestrated this. He planned this. When Jesus first came to Bethlehem as an infant, almost no one noticed. Maybe that was God's plan. Or maybe people had just stopped standing watch after 400 years of silence. But when he comes that second time, no one's going to miss it. When Jesus came that first time, angels did come and they spoke loudly to God's chosen worshipers, some of the lowest in society, some of the outsiders, a group of shepherds who slept outdoors. And then when he comes again, angels are going to be involved again. But this time it's not just for a few outsiders. It's for, it's for all the outsiders. It's for all of us who have been following hard after Jesus, all his chosen, all those who've called on the name of salvation, on the name of Jesus for salvation will be gathered together with a loud shout and a loud trumpet and his chosen ones are going to unite from all over the earth in worship of him on that day when he comes in the clouds with power and glory. And that's another part of why believers around the world celebrate this season in the way that they do. Christmas is all about the first coming of Jesus. But family, it is also about the second coming of Jesus. The first time he came as a humble, dependent infant. The second time, he's coming back as a triumphant king to claim all his own. And that's something worth paying attention to. So I mentioned earlier that I I probably struggled more with preparing this sermon than I've 
probably not prepared for preparing a sermon in, in, in years. And as both my bride and my daughter, who are unfortunately for my sake, great question askers, asked me why that might be, I finally figured out that it's because of how much this season of Advent has come to mean to me. See, our family began observing Advent intentionally after a season of darkness for us. We, we went through years of infertility. We, we wandered in darkness. And then God gave us kids. And, as, and the, the timing of Advent coming, of light coming as God brought us kids was a part of why we chose to intentionally remember the season of Advent. And so for years, we followed the same little Advent devotional guide that was called Truth in the Tinsel, where we made little ornaments that illustrated parts of the whole Advent story, not just the birth, but the whole waiting on Jesus. And our teenagers long ago outgrew Truth in the Tinsel. But every year, we have a little bitty Christmas tree that we put in an upstairs window that we decorate with nothing but Advent ornaments that I remember little hands making. So here's what I would have much rather done. Rather than, rather than talking to you for 20 some odd minutes on a Sunday morning, I would have rather invited you over to my home. My bride and I would have made you dinner while we talked. And then we would have lit one or two or three or four candles, depending upon which week of December you've wandered into our home. Then as our family does every night, we would have, we would have held hands around our table and we would have sung one verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And then we would pray that the one who came would come again. And then we'd share our meal together. Later that night before bed, we'd read whatever was set aside to be read on that particular night in Advent. So what I discovered in trying to prepare these thoughts is that I'm really only comfortable doing one of two things, summarizing it with a simple but profound centuries-old statement that the one who came is still coming, or by inviting you over for a month of dinners and candles and prayer and readings. But because I like my privacy and my family a little too much for that second option, I'd like to ask you to allow me the gift of ending with this blessing before I then pray over all of us. So if you would, please go ahead and stand and receive this truth. Family, as those at Heritage who have been called by the name of Jesus, I ask you to receive this truth, that the one who came as baby Jesus and is now our great high priest will one day come again as King Jesus. I'm going to say it again, because if you walk away with nothing else this morning, please walk away with this. The one who came as baby Jesus and is now our great high priest will one day come again as King Jesus. And that is gospel truth. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of that Jesus, the one who came as a baby, who now intercedes for us as our great high priest and who will one day come on the clouds, we come before you as your sons and daughters, and we ask that you would send us. We've been given the gift of being together on a Sunday morning to worship you, to remember, to remember the past, and to remember the present, and to remember our future. So Father, now please send us out. Let us be the peace of Christ in a world in desperate need of it. Father, let our lives be a proclamation of the truth that the one who came is still coming. It's in the name of the Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit that he sends us that we pray these things, amen.